this episode of AvTalk, Ned Russell from Airline Weekly joins us to discuss the merger of Frontier and Spared Airlines. Mesa Airlines adds another electric aircraft to its stable of investments. And Gabriel Lee gives us the scoop on Finnair's new cabin, including its audacious new business class seat. Hello and welcome to episode 150 of AvTalk. I am Ian Pechnik, here as always with... Jason Urbanotes. Hello, Ian. How has your week been? Hello, Jason. My week has been fine. We're at 150 episodes. Can you believe it? I cannot. It's an outstanding achievement and we will celebrate by creating an airline or something. We're going to open our own airport. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like a terrible idea, but I want to see it through now. We'll do it. My week has been fine. I got to go plane spotting for the first time in a while. Do you remember how to do that? I kept pointing the camera at the ground. It was very There are like eight runways at O'Hare, and I don't even think that's an exaggeration. So how did you even know which to go to? Do you remember how this process works? There is one spot that has a good overview of the south airfield. So you get multiple runways. You can see uh, landings, you can see departures, and and it was a good time. We did a live YouTube video with my colleague Gabriel, and we're going to be talking with him later in the show. He got a sneak peek at the new Finnair cabins that are being revealed. If you're listening to the podcast, they were revealed yesterday, Thursday, and they are interesting. So he's going to explain how that works. And then in a few minutes, we'll talk with Ned Russell from Airline Weekly and Skift about the big news of the week, which is the Frontier Spirit merger. But before we get into that, I do want to talk about something that Jason and I have both been subjected to. And we know you listen to the podcast and we're not happy about it. Whoever you are and wherever you are, please stop sending us those circular runway videos. I didn't even know where you were going with this, but... Yeah, we talked about this a few weeks ago. Um, City Skylines. <laughs> I'm holding Jason personally responsible. Yeah, personally, I accept full responsibility. City Skylines released their expansion pack, the airport's expansion pack, which actually is not getting very great reviews, which is probably why it's cheaper than usual. But with the right mods in the game, you can create your very own terrible, stupid, no good circular runway. And the damn planes actually use it. <sighs> On the bright side, I will say that Mashable hasn't tweeted that tweet in almost a year. I hear so if I, you say circular runway three times, the editor-in-chief of Mashable just appears. <laughs> I, think, I think we shamed them into stop, stop posting that tweet or whoever was paying them to promote that content stopped. In any case, I'm grateful that we're nearing the end of this, I hope. And with that, huh. on with the show. Usually big news breaks right after we finish recording, but this week it waited until we actually got to the new week, so we're appreciative of that. But I think Jason secretly predicted the biggest piece of news for the week last week when he discussed the falling away of yellow liveries. We talked about in reference to Iceland Air, Jason mentioned that there were fewer yellow liveries around. And then this week- They came for all Frontier, the yellow. 
Frontier goes ahead and announces that it plans to acquire and merge Spirit Airlines. So a huge shakeup in the ultra low cost carrier space. And so we now turn to Russell over at Airline Weekly and Skiff, who's going to walk us through what this ultra low cost merger means for Spirit and Frontier particularly and the ultra low cost market generally and US airlines generally. So Ned, thanks so much again for joining us. Happy to be here, Ian. Always a pleasure. Hi, Ned. So we've got two ultra low cost carriers, Frontier Airlines and Spirit Airlines, saying that this was a mutual merger. They're both excited about this. This wasn't anything hostile. They're going to combine forces. Can you kind of lay it out what the plan is here and, and, and why this merger is happening? Absolutely. So, you know, Frontier and Spirit are sort of uh, birds of a feather. Spirit was owned by Indigo Partners back in the early 2000s. They then sold Spirit when they bought Frontier in 2013. So what this deal does is basically bring Spirit back into the Indigo sort of family, so to speak. Frontier is buying, like you said, they're going to have a 51.5% stake in the new airline. And we're basically going to just get a giant ultra low cost carrier in the US. But when I say giant, it's uh, still only seven to 8% of the market. So giant, but not quite as big as American Delta or Southwest. I think it puts them at fifth largest airline in the US, which really isn't all that high up the list. And you would think a combining of two airlines like Frontier and Spirit, they'd be number two or three, but they're still below JetBlue even. Oh, just above JetBlue, but they're behind oh, okay. South. Yeah, yeah. They're they're just above. I mean, it's a JetBlue's got those E-190s and A220s. So, you know, when you cram 180 people into an A320, it's uh, it's easy to uh, quickly get look and become larger than them. So, but yeah, we're going to have an airline, 145 destinations, uh, nearly 300 aircraft, 350 Airbus A320 family on order. It's going to be a real budget juggernaut. So what is the goal here just to kind of increase their ability to penetrate the U.S. market as ultra low cost carriers? Is the idea to expand the route map? What's the end game here? The airlines are saying this is all about growth. They say together they can grow faster, serve more markets. You know, the, they like to say how they will, you know, they'll be able to, <laughs> they used Eugene, Oregon, Ithaca, New York, and Worcester, Massachusetts as examples of places that they can fly together. Though I've read some analysis that, that questions that. It's, you know, if Worcester doesn't work for Spirit or Frontier alone, which already have these point-to-point, you know, low-cost models, how is Worcester going to work for them together? So, you know, they're promising growth, but there's questions about whether this they, they need to merge really to be able to achieve it. I guess the argument is that post-merger, overall, the combined spirit frontier costs would be lower, enabling them to serve these cities that in the past wouldn't be profitable for them. Is that kind of the end game? They're saying that. They claim they're going to have like you know, $400 million in cost synergy, well, $500 million in synergies, a lot of that cost. But I've also, you've got to think about pilots. Like there's a pilot shortage in the US. Their wage rates, their starting wage rates are a good 30% lower than Southwest and all their peers. So you've got to wonder, a larger airline, you have to think Alpa, which represents both both airlines' pilots, is going to be wanting to raise those rates. So they get some savings on one side, but labor expenses go up. It, it's hard, you know, maybe it equals out, maybe it comes out lower. It's, it's you know, there's a lot of inputs here. Does the combined airline need to grow as far as the fleet beyond the orders that they've already got? I mean, Indigo Partners put in a huge, huge order 
I think it was, what, two years ago for Airbus Aircraft. So they have some coming down the pipe. Spirit has a good handful on order. Do they need another aircraft order on top of this as the combined airline to really achieve that growth? Man, I mean, they've got, I, I ran the numbers and it's 354 firm orders at the end of December from Airbus alone. It's, I mean, that's some robust growth. That's more than doubling. Well, 75% growth is what they say with retirements. But uh, I haven't heard any new orders yet. But hey, if you want double digit growth for the every year for the next decade, there they may be. With 354 firm orders, that can eat into Airbus's backlog because we've seen other ultra low cost carriers turn their attention to 737 MAX because of Airbus's order backlog. So with 354 firm orders, it seems like they don't necessarily need to expand beyond an all Airbus fleet so they can continue to take advantage of the fact that they all fly the same aircraft. Absolutely. And you hit the nail on the head when you said Indigo, talked about Indigo's big orders. I mean, they also placed a massive order at the Dubai Air Show in November. Now, they've locked up a lot of Airbus's backlog for the next decade, just amongst their carriers. So you got to imagine there's going to be a lot of, you know, Frontier, Spirit, whatever the new airlines called planes coming out of Mobile very, very shortly. Tell us a little about their route network. So they both fly end to end of the US. So there's really no region neither of them flies. Are their route networks complementary, like we kind of saw with the Alaska Airlines Virgin America merger or didn't see like that, I guess? Or are they really, is there a lot of overlap? How is this going to shake out? They're generally viewed as complementary. You know, Frontier has is you know Denver based. Their roots are in the West, and Spirit traditionally was sort of Florida, East Coast, Midwest. So generally, they're complementary. I mean, there is some overlap. Uh, they cited the market Baltimore, Orlando, as a market where you know they'd go from I think Frontier has two flights, Spirit has three, so they'd have five flights together. So there is a little overlap, but they generally are seen as complementary, at least as airline management puts it. So I guess the big hurdle to the airlines merging, other than working everything out amongst themselves, is looking at the regulatory environment. The current administration has said it's going to take a harder look at mergers and consolidation than previous administrations have. Have you heard anything from you know anyone in the regulatory schema saying, we think this is a good idea, we're not sure about this, kind of questioning the merger, or has there just been radio silence so far? You know, there's been radio silence from Washington so far on this, but I mean, you pointed out the Biden administration is not very pro-merger in you know, big sectors like airlines. That said, I've spoken to a couple antitrust lawyers on this, and the consensus is that it's likely to make it through the, the you know, antitrust juggernaut as you know, it goes through. The thing is, is we talked about this earlier, it's 7% of the US market, 8%, depending on what numbers you use, versus you know, American United and Delta Southwest are 80%. So it's going to be hard for the DOJ to really come down and say, you guys can't merge because it's going to, to reduce competition. You know, these airlines are going to continue to do low fares, probably poor service too, but hey, you know, I don't know. And they don't really have concentration in any markets that are limited, like New York or you know, Washington, D.C. And they fly from airports anyone can fly to. So it's not like they could be asked to divest slots to get through. So they're going to be judged, but it looks like it might make it through. We'll see. I mean, we're already seeing the DOJ take kind of a anti-consolidation stance with the American Airlines 
JetBlue Northeast Alliance. That's not even a merger. And we have the DOJ kind of really scrutinizing that unexpectedly, I think. So it's going to be really fun to see what happens with an actual merger of two airlines that kind of, not kind of, but they do dominate the ultra low cost airline game in the US. Absolutely. I mean, look, Allegiant is the closest competitor and they have fewer than 100 aircraft and, you know, Frontier Spirit are going to 300. It's going to be fun to see what comes out of Washington. But I remember back when American U.S. Airways merger, you know, they dived in, they did a route by route analysis of, of the impact and competition. And it's going to be interesting to see how they come out of that with Frontier and Spirit. Like, you know, they don't compete in too many routes and where they do, it's yeah, it's it's like they're still going to have low fare. It's yeah. So it's going to be interesting. <laughs> My biggest question, more than anything else, do you think <laughs> the big front seat makes it through the merger? That's all I care about. Well, it better. I mean, that's the best part of Flying Spirit, right? It's the only best part. I mean, <laughs> it's the only way I will fly Spirit is if I can book the big front seat. For those who are not a Spirit passenger or have never been in the past, they... Back in the day before Spirit was an ultra low cost carrier, they had first class seats. And the legend is that it was cheaper for them in the short term to leave those seats on board the aircraft and just sell them as bigger seats at the front of the plane without any of the other first class perks than it was to remove them. And they've kept them ever since. Frontier doesn't have that. They have, you know, your typical economy seat with extra legroom up front. I really hope Spirit keeps around the big front seat or frontier, I guess it really seems like. But no indication either way yet. But if it goes the wrong way, I will never forgive them. <laughs> I guess that goes to a bigger question. Ned, do we have any idea what the combined airline could look like? Is it going to look more like frontier with just spirit kind of going away? Or are we going to see really two separate airlines just owned by the same company? Well, it's definitely going to be merged into one airline, you know, but what they said is they're going to have a committee that's going to evaluate name, headquarters, and branding coming out of this. So TBD on all those topics. That said, you've got to think, you know, Frontier is the buying airline here. So and Indigo is, of course, the major shareholder. My hunch is the front, you know, it's going to weigh on the front. The management will probably weigh toward lean towards the frontier side of the house coming out of this. But, you know, there's a lot of great managers at Spirit. So it's going to be interesting to see what it comes out. You know, my favorite mashup is that I saw online was a frontier plane in yellow. So <laughs> we'll see if that livery uh, makes it through, but probably not. For everyone's eyes. I, I hope it doesn't. But I mean, that brings up, <laughs> I guess, one of the least pressing concerns at this point, is if they do go to the frontier side, how many more animals do they need? I mean, that Spirit has, what, 175 planes in its fleet? I mean, that's that's a lot of animals to Absolutely. To come well, hey, with. you got the whole Florida uh, ecosystem there. Manatees, I mean, what else, every, everything else is down there. <laughs> yeah, I just start going to have to start listing species of, you know, various species of bugs. How many, <laughs> how many, how many spider species are there? Ants? We're on yeah, the cockroach that, plane. <laughs> Well, I mean, that would be... How do, you, how do you make flying frontier worse? You're on the spider plane. I mean, I think that one could be fun. Uh, as long but, as you're not arachnophobe. Yeah, that, I mean, that could cause some problems. With all of the 
kind of hubbub this week about the fact that it happened wasn't necessarily a surprise. The fact that it happened this week was a surprise. Was there kind of an impetus for the announcement this week or did they just get to the point where, okay, we've got everything ironed out. It's time to announce. You know, that's what they said. It's just, yeah, they got to the time, everything worked and all, you know, all the shareholders lined up and approved it. You've got to wonder, I wonder why now it doesn't seem, you know, the Biden administration having you know said so publicly that they're against, you know, mergers and big sectors, it seems like the wrong time to go for this. But hey, I'm not a corporate M&A lawyer or advisor, so maybe they know something I don't. I'm just surprised there was no leaking of this at all. Like This has been rumored and, and speculated for years that it's a good concept and that they want to do it. But I didn't. Did you hear of any indication that this was happening until it was actually released like 6.30 in the morning on Monday? Nothing. That's the thing. And I saw that they only registered their merger website, I forget the URL, on Friday night. So it's amazing that didn't nothing dribbled out. Well done that's, to them. That's impressive for them. On a less impressive note, right around the time that the merger was announced, Frontier's computer systems went down. So the airline was grounded for a good portion of the, the morning and into the afternoon on Monday as well. But that was sorted and, and as far as we know, completely unrelated to the announcement. You will never know for sure. Yeah. One would hope. It's not like they were getting enough press or anything. No, I mean, that's that's not how you want the press. That is definitely not how you want it. As we follow the story of the Frontier Spirit merger, and as we get deeper into it and whether or not the DOJ decides to weigh in on the competition merits of it. I'm sure we'll be speaking with Ned as this moves through the progress. Ned Russell is the airlines reporter at Airline Weekly and Skift. Ned, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure to have you on. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Ned. So that is going to be a very interesting merger to watch because I'm very interested to see whether or not they just frontierize Spirit or whether they take some of the good parts of Spirit and add them to Frontier or you just have this weird subfleet of Frontier planes that have big front seats. Well, it's going to be regardless of what they decide to do, you're going to have probably a not insignificant period of time where you have Spirit aircraft in Spirit livery with Spirit interior operating as Frontier. That's not going to go away anytime soon, probably. But Frontier, Spirit, Frontier, whatever we want to call them, they say they hope to close this deal by the end of 2022, which seems aggressive, but they seem pretty confident. Spirit, the final Frontier. Ah, nerd. I got it out of my system. Uh, You had to do it. I had to. It was. I, I think I'm legally obligated somewhere deep, deep in the terms and conditions. So we've got a fresh cancellation by Airbus of a Qatar Airways order, this time for two A350-1000s. So in addition to the 50 A321neos that Airbus canceled I guess last week or two weeks now, they also in the month of January canceled two A350-1000 orders. So they're really ratcheting up the, I don't know if it's pressure at this point on Qatar, but just kind of washing their hands of, of Qatar Airways at this point. Yeah. I guess we shouldn't be surprised at this particular point that 
Airbus is going to do whatever it needs to and Qatar is going to do whatever it needs to. But this one, I did not see this coming. I thought it would really just be contained to their little back and forth of the A320 order that Qatar has already backfilled. But yeah, wow. I don't think we're going to see another Airbus order from Qatar in a very long time. You say that now, but next week, you know, Qatar Airways orders 2,000. It's possible. It's 30 Neos. Anything is possible. Yeah. Yeah. So an interesting development. This news came out of the the monthly order and delivery statistics that Airbus puts out and their backlog shrink. And so that's where the shrinkage came from. So it'll be interesting to see it, what, if anything, Qatar can do to respond to this, or if they're just going to say, okay, fine, two A350 1000s and be done with it. But keep following this one because it's, it's interesting. It's getting fun. Yeah, that's a word for it. I mean, not for us, it's fun. Yeah, I mean, yeah, not as for far them. as we're concerned. <laughs> no, not, certainly not for them. So Mesa, the regional US carrier, is a very interesting player in the you want to build a new type of conveyance, we'll invest in it space. I'm not sure exactly what they're planning now, but they've taken a stake in Regent, which stands for, and I really enjoy this, I enjoy a good acronyming, Regional Electric Ground Effect Naval Transport. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They're building an electric or want to build an electric passenger aircraft that is basically, it's not quite a hydrofoil because it, I guess it actually flies. They're called wing in ground effect craft or WIGS, why not another acronym? And Jason, you we were discussing this before we started recording and you pointed out, well, they're not planes because they're not regulated by the FAA. And, and I was like, well, that seems strange to me. But in fact, the Coast Guard has the regulatory authority over these types of aircraft. So this could actually... <laughs> I mean, I can't help but laugh at that. Like we're talking about little tiny itty bitty Mesa Airlines, like you said, is ordering anything and everything it possibly can. I mean, on order, they had the uh, ill-fated Mitsubishi space jet. That'll never happen. It has an order for 200 Hart Aerospace ES-19s. I think they took a stake in... Who did they take? Archer Aviation. They took a stake in along with United, I think. They ordered 100 of those. I said this was a 100 or 200, 100 or plus 100 of the Hart Aerospace. But now they're doing this, which isn't even an airplane. It's a hydrofoil. And I mean, I guess it's good that the FAA is not involved and they may have an easier time recruiting pilots because they don't actually have to technically be pilots, I guess. But this is confusing what is going on at Mesa. And they are either in 2030 going to be the most innovative, diversified, amazing airline in the world, or they're still just going to be operating CRJ 900s on behalf of American out of Phoenix. Could go either way. <laughs> it could go either way. I think it's really interesting that they're, I mean, they are looking ahead. I give them credit for that. But with all of these disparate orders, what are they looking ahead to? Where are they trying to position themselves? 
And what are they going to do with all of these things? Because if you're talking about you know the regent, it doesn't fly that many people. It doesn't go very far and it needs water. So it's obviously a coastal craft. Is this going to be more like a Kenmore or a Cape Air thing? Or are these new markets? Are we going to see these flying up and down the Mississippi? Like, What's going on here? I don't know. Um, do Why you, not? Do you happen to know how, <laughs> at what altitude these things not fly, but hover, glide, operate? Like, It's not that much, right? No, I mean, it's very, it's above the water, but not much. Yeah. And this thing is supposed to operate over 100, nearly 200 miles an hour. I'm just trying to picture in my head one of these things skimming the Long Island Sound up the East River to get people from Manhattan to like the Hamptons or something. I just, I don't see it, but someone at Mesa does, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. Most of this stuff I'd imagine that they're investing in is not going to happen. But if one of their five plays does, they'll be ready for it. Yeah, that's true. That is very true. I guess as long as something works out, then it should all be fine. If not, they still have those CRJs. Oh, those those trusty CRJs. So an interesting turn in the legal wrangling over the Justice Department's settlement, or not settlement, but deferred prosecution agreement with Boeing over the crash of the 2737 Maxis. Last year, the US government and Boeing reached a deferred prosecution agreement, which was roughly a $2.5 billion settlement total. Most of that money actually went to Boeing's customers for you know not being able to have the Max in service and not as a we're sorry, this was a a bad thing that happened, but we're sorry that you can't use your planes. $500 million total was diverted into a, or, or placed into a victim's compensation fund. And that's where the families of those killed in the two crashes are mounting a fresh legal challenge, saying that their rights as victims of criminality were violated by the DOJ entering into this prosecution deferred prosecution agreement without meeting with the or conferring with the victims first. The DOJ this week said that they were under no obligation to meet with the victims, but did say, we are sorry, we should have met with you first, but we didn't have to. And in fact, the attorney general met with some of the families and their legal representatives recently. So they're legally challenging the suit by the families. And the saga continues. This is not the last we'll hear of this particular saga. And yeah, there's still lots more to come. Yeah. And very tangentially related, the two of the not related to the suit by the families, but related to the the 737 Max legal drama. Two of the six charges that Mark Fortner, the former test pilot at Boeing, are facing were dropped this week on an interesting technicality. This is coming out of the Dallas Morning News' reporting. And the judge says that the charges, the reporting says that the judge dropped the two of the charges largely on technical grounds, quote, saying that the statute that defines an aircraft part doesn't include language about software. So huh. the charging statute was inapplicable to to the software. 
is still facing four wire fraud charges, but two of the charges have now been dropped, mostly on the technicality. So that's an update on that case. Okay. Sticking with this general theme of aircraft certification, the FAA introduced a new policy proposal regarding aircraft certification this week. Part of that stems from the law that Congress passed in 2021. I'm still writing, you know, 2019 on all my checks. The, so I'm, or, no, the legislation was approved in December of 2020. So uh, close enough. But the long and the short of it is these the new law was in response to the 737 MAX crashes. This is the law that we talked about last week as well that was also partially spurred by the crash of the Asiana 777 in San Francisco. So this particular portion of the law relates to the this is one of those things where you get into the aircraft certification weeds and go, this is something that happens and then you get confused all over again. There are people that are employed by Boeing who are designated by the FAA who are responsible for self-certifying aircraft, the aircraft to say that they have met all of the standards. And those people, according to a survey, said that they felt pressured by management at Boeing to move faster or to necessarily certify things that they didn't think were necessarily up to snuff 100%. And so this new draft regulation leads to establishing clear guidance and, and policies and processes and procedures that ensure that the FAA is getting the unvarnished truth from these people who are designated to certify the aircraft, but they still work for the manufacturer. Okay. That was a lot of words. That was a lot of words. The self-certification part, the designated certification, is one of the big problems that all of the reports, all of the investigations have addressed in saying people were working for Boeing and we're feeling pressure from other people in Boeing to meet deadlines and certify things and say that these were safe and ready to go when they didn't necessarily feel that they were. And so this draft guidance is really another step in saying, okay, we need to make sure that those people feel like they can stop the basically stop the presses at any time and have an ongoing dialogue with the people at the FAA so that there's not regulatory capture. It'll be interesting to see if if it works. I mean the FAA has become much much more assertive in the past few years really in response I mean it, you know it certainly it's a pendulum and the pendulum has swung back very strongly in the direction of the FAA. I mean look at the 787 rework, look at you know, getting the 737 MAX back in the... I mean, remember when we first started after the grounding of the 737 MAX after the second crash, this was, oh, it'll take two weeks. It'll be a quick software update and everything will be fine. And then 20 months later, the plane was back in the air. Yeah. And there's also published by John Osterauer over at the Air Current just a few days ago, things have swung so much back in the other direction that his headline reads, FAA not giving an inch as Boeing big jets program face our big jet programs face slide basically things just aren't moving forward at the FAA in, in regards to the certification of the 777x the 787 reworks the 737 max 
seven and the 10. So everything at the FAA, at least regarding Boeing, is under extreme scrutiny by the FAA now, which is seemingly polar opposite of what was going on just a few years ago. So let's stick with extreme scrutiny for a moment, but let's talk about how it seems to have come way late in the game. The FAA is hosting engineers from the cellular companies. I know I promised last week that they would hopefully be- You said we were done with But this. then this happened and it just – it sticks in my court. This being a congressional hearing. I think it was Thursday, so it was the day after. Yeah, the hearing that we previewed on last week's episode that we said we would talk about if anything came out. So FAA Administrator Stephen Dixon provided testimony and one of the things that he mentioned last week in his testimony was that the FAA is now hosting engineers from – the mobile networks on their aircraft to test real interference or not on the radio altimeters and to get actual measurements inside the aircraft cabin in various ways. Is it worse if people have their phones on? Is it less bad? Is it bad, you know, straight on to the side, up, down, left, right? You know, where is it bad? What do we need to be worried about? Why was this not – why didn't anyone think to put them in planes when this was announced? Yes, that would have been a great idea to do this homework years in advance, but they will do it seemingly months after the fact. The hearing was you know, your typical government congressional grandstanding hearing where not that much came out of it. But there were some interesting tidbits, one of them being this – actual real-world flight testing, I assume, happening out of Atlantic City, probably, where the FAA has its flight testing base, is it? I don't even know if it's a base, but it's where they do some stuff. There was also some interesting, other interesting tidbits out of the, the hearing that, by and large, most commercial aircraft have radio altimeters that are not impacted by out-of-band transmissions, which C-band is out of the radio altimeter band. But there are some older, junkier radio altimeters, basically, that they have no filters whatsoever on these devices. So if there is anything remotely near their frequency, they may actually be impacted by this. So this would probably be older general aviation aircraft, helicopters perhaps. But that one interesting tidbit was that there are some radio altimeters that just they do not have the hardware installed to filter out noise from other frequencies. And apparently it is not an expensive thing that could have been added onto these radio altimeters. But after the fact, replacing those systems on these aircraft is probably hugely expensive. But all of this could have been avoided if a little cheap ceramic filters were put in these things to, <laughs> to prevent out-of-band interference. But cost-cutting happens and you know, 30 years ago, there was no inclination at all that there could possibly be C-band cellular use because this stuff didn't exist back then. But it is just disheartening to know that the manufacturers of radio altimeters, just, they, they didn't put any filters on at all, which is not great. Build to the minimum spec. Yes. Yeah. And the other part of the conversation that, that really kind of came out of last week's hearing is moving into the who pays to fix it phase. So we figured out most of these radio altimeters aren't affected. The ones that are, whose fault is that and who gets to pay to fix it? Is it going to be the airlines? Is it going to be somebody else? 
that's going to be an interesting conversation. And I'm sure that one will go on for years until we get to the point where they go, oh, forget it. We're just going to retire these planes. Yeah. Uh, well, we all know it's not going to be the airlines because they hate paying for things, especially like this. So somebody's going to pay for it probably. But there's definitely a lot of general aviation and a lot of helicopter services that probably are impacted that don't have the deep pockets to replace these altimeters. So stay tuned. Staying tuned. And so our last kind of regulatory stuff, we're, we're heavy on regulatory stuff and legal stuff this week. Delta's CEO, Ed Bastian, wrote to the Department of Justice this week to ask for the creation of a new no-fly list for unruly passengers. So the idea is that if someone gets drunk and belligerent and hits a flight attendant on Delta, Delta bans them, but they could go fly United or American or, or, Mesa. or Spirit or, or Mesa. They could get on a hydrofoil and go fly Mesa. So the idea is that anyone who has been either civilly fined by the FAA or criminally prosecuted by the DOJ based on a referral from the FAA would be added to this new you can't fly list with anybody rather than just being having it be airline specific. I have nothing to add to that. That sounds like a perfectly sane, rational, and overdue idea that I hope the government puts into action post-haste. So on the face of it, it does seem sane and rational and makes a lot of sense. My only thing that I would interject here is that there's got to be a way to, I guess, make sure that you don't have people ending incorrectly on it. And how do you make your peace and be able to get on? Are you banned from flying in the US for life? Is it you know, six months? Is it a year? Is it two oh, years? End up Do on you it have accidentally, to- right? Because it requires conviction. So that would be itself the appeal process. If you are convicted of it, found guilty, therefore you end up on the list. If you're not convicted, not found guilty, you don't end up on the list. It's perfect. I still think there needs to be some sort of timeline or yeah, something. It should not be a permanent thing. You, you shouldn't be held responsible for something you did in your teens when you're you know, 70 years later trying to fly on a Mesa hydrofoil to uh, Martha's Vineyard. But there are some details to work out, but I think it is a fantastic long overdue idea. Oh, sorry. I'm just getting over the, the Mesa hydrofoil bit here. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll have a chat with Gabriel Lee, who was in town, like I mentioned, in Chicago. So we chatted for a few minutes about Finnair's new cabin, their newly redesigned business cabin, and what else they've done in the back of the plane. So stay with us. We'll be right back. Hello again, Gabriel. Hello. It's nice to see you again in person. You're here in Chicago this time. We've just spent a bit of time looking at planes here at O'Hare. And you had a very interesting opportunity last week now. That's right. To get a sneak peek at Finnair's new cabin, a full cabin, a new business class seat. Yes. A new premium economy cabin. Yep. And a refreshed economy cabin. That's correct. And so tell me some of the highlights. And you mentioned that the business class seat is a bit interesting. And so we'll start there in the business class cabin. Yeah. So the business class cabin is where the headline is because so what they've done is they've 
They've unveiled this seat, which is kind of unlike anything we've seen so far. And it's kind of unexpected from an airline like Finnair, which isn't necessarily known for being incredibly bold. They go for their minimalism, their nice Nordic, the, you know. The Nordic comfort look. Yeah, and it's great. You know, they do a good job at that. What they've done here is they're really trying to redefine what a business class seat can be like. And the biggest way they've done that is they've got this seat pod that they developed together with Collins Aerospace and a London-based company called Priestman Good to sort of help with this concept that doesn't recline. There's no recline in the seat. And that allowed them to kind of reimagine the shape of the thing and to use more space and also to make a seat that weighs quite a bit less because there's no motors for the recline. And they've created this kind of living space out of it. That's how they kind of described it, where it kind of invites you to lean on different parts of the shell. And they're going to hand out a couple of oversized pillows with the Marimekko patterns, of course, and some nice bedding so that you can kind of make your space how you want it. And it sounds kind of crazy that you can't recline this thing, but actually I think it will work. It's hard to know without sitting in it for 10 hours, but just trying it out, it felt like a very comfortable place to kind of kick off your shoes and just sit in different ways. You could sort of get comfortable however you want. And so that's kind of what they've done there. A risky move, but I think, think potentially a really good one. Okay. How do you sleep? So when you sleep, the whole thing is kind of, there's a leg rest that comes up and makes this kind of complete padded surface, just okay. like you would expect. Okay. Like if you made your seat lie flat, it would look very similar. Right. So that's sort of always there. It's where you're sitting and then you lie down with this thing that makes it a complete sort of flush surface. And then they have a nice mattress pad that smooths out all the gaps, if there are any, and a nice duvet. So that part should be definitely comfortable. The so, question is how it will feel when you're kind of lounging around watching a movie or something. So I, I feel like it has the potential to be a lot better because my gripe with a lot of the business class seats that, that currently exist is there's no comfortable position in between fully upright, eating at a tray table, and lying down completely. That's right. There's no lounge comfort. Yeah, that's right. I think this will definitely offer something different. And it, and it gives you this odd feeling of freedom when you know that you can sort of, you can sit and face the window if you want. And you can kind of lean on the shell and there's a table there. I mean, I don't know how easy it would be to sit there and work on a laptop, but it's just nice to have those different options, you know? And the, the look of the cabin is actually quite dissimilar to anything Finnair's ever done before. Yeah, it's actually gorgeous. I mean, they've gone for these kind of dark blues in the fabric and, you know, their current cabin can sort of run the risk of feeling a bit sort of gray and white to a fault, you know? When I've been on Finnair, it, it feels a little washed out. Yeah. So this sort of gives you that, like, they, they're really going for a kind of, you know, premium pivot. They want to they look more luxurious and feel more cozy and sort of, you know, like you're in a, a Nordic home. I also got definite Japanese vibes, which I mm -hmm. think that this product is definitely marketed toward the Asian market, which is an important one for them in normal times. And they're sort of hoping this will be the sort of the way, to, you know, that Asia will start opening up again and they can, they can reopen more of these routes again uh, with full passenger loads and that this will be a real big hit with the, with the Asian market. So a brand new business class seat and a brand new premium economy cabin, this is the first time Finnair has introduced premium economy. Is there anything as out of the ordinary about that, or is it just more of a straight up premium economy cabin like we've seen from, from other airlines? Yeah, the premium economy will look very familiar. You know, you compare it to any number of other transatlantic airlines, they have basically the same seat. It's very similar to the, what SAS has going in terms of it being a 242 layout. So okay. four in the middle. So they've gone for a slightly narrower seat. It has the kind of 38 inches of pitch, 8 inches of recline that you would expect. 
but they've done these kind of nice finair finishing touches and they and it looks very nicely tied in with the the sort of the new colors in the business class yeah they've done a nice job with it it's pretty standard as far as premium economy goes they're also going to hand out these special neck pillows so the pillow you oh. get is one that will you know sort of you don't have to walk through the airport with a neck pillow if you're a neck pillow person or maybe they'll convert some people to being neck pillows yeah. i am not a neck pillow person but hey i mean it sounds like it could be an okay idea it could be a way to get people to to book into premium economy. Yes. If and they, they know that they're going to get an echo. <laughs> yes. And they're expecting that there'll be a lot of people. They have really high hopes for that cabin. They, they see a lot of demand for that kind of thing on Finner. And it will bring them closer, you know, more aligned with all their partners across the Atlantic. And then the, the economy cabin gets a refresh, but yeah, nothing, nothing terribly exciting there. Nothing groundbreaking there, but it does look nice. The, the fabrics are nice that they've gone for. It's a little different from any other that I've seen, the way the sort of seatback pockets are done and the way it looks and feels. And they still have an economy comfort section, which they've always had, which is, you know, just a little more legroom, same seat, but it's enough extra legroom that it's nice. And then they have the regular one in the back with a subtle differences, like they don't get a leather headrest in the normal seats. Um, and they've worked on the cab. <laughs> they've, okay. worked, they've worked on the cabin lighting. They've they've got this really nice uh, northern lights kind of program they can run to sort of it, it's part of the sleep cycle. They said they've done that throughout, sort of to make the lighting a little more a little more tied together, a little more sort of a part of the branding, a part of these. Gotcha. Yeah. So when do we start seeing these cabins? We should start seeing them really soon. The plane that I saw was the first one. Uh, it's a new delivery that's been doing some cargo flights already. The cabin wasn't totally finished. They haven't quite nailed down all the aspects of the soft product. It's going to be a whole new service flow and new meal okay. service and new glassware. So they're sort of working out these details. They said these planes should be bookable, like you can book the premium economy, all that in uh, in March. So I'd expect we see some flying passengers very soon. And then they're going to outfit the whole fleet. A330s also will get the same cabin with a slightly modified seat, but it will, I, be, it will be consistent, they said. I want to take one big AvGeek step back, and you said new glassware? <laughs> I did. So for anyone who's ever flown Finnair or who is interested in airline glassware, mm-hmm. I know that there's at least a few of us out there. The Itala glassware mm-hmm. that Finnair has is very distinctive. It is. It's iconic. And it's going away? Actually, don't worry because it's not. They're keeping that, okay. that particular, it's called the Ultima Thule yes. glass that, you'll, that everyone will recognize if you've ever flown Finnair in business class. It has the kind of, it looks like almost dripping water dripping ice at the bottom of the yeah. glass, right? You know, they basically went around and said, you know, hey, uh, talking about doing this new glassware, and they said that basically everyone at the airline, all the freaking flowers, anyone who's ever flown Finnair said, like, okay, fine, but you better not get rid of the ultimate tools. Like, that will, that, will cause a re- that will cause a rebellion. It would. It would. So they're smart. They're introducing this very beautiful new kind of, it's also Itala. It's a sort of evolution. Uh, they worked with a Finnish designer to come up with this new tableware set, but the Ultima Thule glasses will stick around. Well, then I'm satisfied. And we hope that you'll be on one of the initial flights of the new cabin, and we'll get to see a great video from you about how that all ends up working. And I hope to see, you know, kind of like a, a you, like a montage of you trying to get yourself comfortable right. in the new business class seat. We could maybe even do a time lapse. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, I'm really looking forward to trying it out actually over several hours in a flight because that'll really 
be the real test. So yeah, looking forward to that. Hopefully it's sooner rather than later. Well, I'm glad to have you back on the podcast. It's always fun and you're always up to something interesting. We're at the airport now. You'll be getting on the plane soon and your next jaunt is on the uh, CRJ 550. That's right. So that'll be interesting to see. If you haven't been following Gabriel's travels on our YouTube channel, absolutely head over there and check it out. You can see what he's been up to, some great travels, most recently on Qatar Airways, various and sundry business class products. Yeah, that was a, uh, that was pretty tough to review all their business class seats, but I, <laughs> yeah. I managed it. And yeah, we got some fun stuff out of it. Well, it's always good to have you on and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you. Welcome back. That's going to be an interesting thing, and I really want to get on the aircraft now. The fact that the business class seat doesn't recline, I mean, it's just a its just a fascinating concept to me, and now I really want to check it out. Yeah, there's a lot of the same flying out there. A lot of airlines flying the same core product from a very few selection of seating manufacturers. So it seems like Finnair has gone outside the box and then taken a couple more left turns. Yeah, definitely. Definitely so. And it'll be interesting to see how they do with their premium economy, which is basically everybody else's premium economy seating and layout and things like that. But we'll see what the soft product is because of all the new services that they're going to roll out. So we'll see how that goes. Yes. Having just flown Finnair recently, the exclusion of premium economy was a real, real soft point in their overall product. Yeah. They're like one of the only airlines flying over the Atlantic that doesn't have it. So that's finally nice to see from them. Before we go, we've got some Flight Radar 24 news. This week, we released new search function and features on the web. So this standardizes the search experience across the web and and the apps. And it's some really cool stuff as far as finding info that you want about a flight without having to search and then click and go somewhere else. With the old search on the web, you basically, if you search for a flight or a route or an aircraft, you had to then click on it and you were taken away from whatever you were doing on the map and you had to go to a different page to look at any data. Now that we've got the new search, you can basically stay in the search console and get information about those particular flights or pull up a list of live flights by airline, which is actually a fun thing that I've been playing around with seeing you know how many flights are in the air by a particular airline at any one time and where they're headed. And then for all of them, you can see on a particular flight, you can see things like arrival and departure timings, which actual aircraft is operating the flight. And then you can dig into the historical data or things like that if you want to go a bit further. You don't have to immediately go off the map page. So that should be fun. And people should check it out and let us know what you think. If you have any suggestions about improvements in other areas, we're always happy to hear those. You can email us at podcast at fr24.com about any of that or anything else you want to email us about. I am behind on the email. I promise we got some great emails this week and I got behind. So we'll talk about some of those next week. Some really cool things that our listeners got up to over the past week or so with some really great aircraft. And so we'll talk about those next week. I apologize. I didn't get to that this week. So stay tuned for that next week. Until then... This has been episode 150 of AvTalk. I am Ian Pechnik here, as always, with Jason Rabinowitz. Thanks for listening. Bye.